You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Good to have you here. One of the most essential components to a successful business is customer service, a position I've held throughout numerous companies in my 15 years in the workforce. I wouldn't call it a thankless job. Difficult and stressful at times, sure, but I've been thanked many times by both customers and management. I've been the reason why customers come back and at times have rubbed a few people the wrong way. We all make mistakes, but What's worse is to not learn anything from them. I have two goals with today's episode. I want to give you a broad scope of what customer service is like in our current landscape. And I also want to tell you about my experiences, which shape how I think the job should be handled. Although the market evolves, the need to put customers' minds at ease and solve their problems remains. How we handle it is what changes. I was a referee at an indoor arena, grocery clerk, sales and service for four separate watch-related companies, one of which was conducted online, a home decor and furniture outlet, a costume shop, which for reasons that will become increasingly obvious the more you get to know me, is one of my favorites. I also freelanced for the last six years, which I suppose counts as customer service if you treat your clients like customers. I tend not to see it that way. Clients to me are a much more personal relationship and acquaintances tend to form in ways that both sides can enjoy. The only job where I didn't have to provide any consumer satisfaction was background acting. Now, because we are an e-commerce company, show and platform, I note that experiences within brick and mortar are less relevant, but I still have some insights I can share that I hope you find valuable. Some ground rules I'll be going through. I have no intention of outing anyone personally. I don't believe in that. Normally, I have no issue bringing up businesses by name because they are publicly traded companies, and from the perspective of a customer, I consider it a sacred duty to be vocal about my experience. But when it comes to my experience as an employee, I would rather not. Much of my experience is characterized by my own point of view, and I don't want these businesses reflected in a way that's unfair to them, even if I intend to make them look good. Lastly, I speak of customer service, But in several cases, that would also include sales. So it's easier for me to refer to myself as an agent. With that out of the way, let's begin. My first experience in customer service was a lemonade stand I tried to run as a kid. Okay, I'm just saying that because it's technically true, but there's nothing valuable there other than listen to your mother when she asks you to put the table away and go eat. My first insight is the customer company tension equation. There's always going to be a tug of war between expectations of the company and the way we treat the customer, whereas agents are in between these two points. A company expects certain competencies and compliances with protocol. These range from having a pulse (laughs) to fully embodying the spirit of the brand to the point of becoming a character. It's perfectly reasonable to set expectations for your employees, but as individuals, We're the ones that are making the most of a connection with customers. And unless one is lacking any emotionality, 
we have to gauge the willingness of customers to reciprocate, regardless of what the company needs. Push too hard, and maybe they buy that day. But don't feel so good about it, and you might not see them again. Don't push at all, and they end up unconvinced there's anything special about buying from us over a department store where they can get a discount. As I've said before, the first lesson I learned from one of the top salespeople is that the product sells itself. And I agree with that to this day. I believe the job of a sales agent is to validate the customer's decision and guide their already good decision into a better one. Don't figure out how to make them spend money. Figure out how to secure value. On one side of the tension equation, I refer to my luxury watch job. It was one of the hardest jobs I worked at but also the one that taught me the most about a good work ethic. We were trained in a way that promoted going above and beyond for customers from the moment they walked through the door. Instead of the usual, if you need anything, let us know, they wanted us to say, hey, nice outfit, or is that coffee for me? Something like that. They would also do chat-ins, a five-minute warm-up before a shift starts. In addition to being handed a daily sales goal, these would be miniature interviews where I'd have to remember something about the latest marketing campaign or find a creative solution to a problem they ask. The company also had a policy that your sales would dictate your hours, as opposed to commission. Now, this was the first job I got without any kind of hookups and was compelled to keep, so I obliged. What I couldn't grasp was the level of seriousness I'm supposed to take it. Every customer that would walk in, provided the floor manager was there, which was often, I'd have to gauge on how on I needed to be. If I was too on, the customer might feel like they're not making a genuine connection. They would feel like everything they were saying I was receiving and then just trying to figure out some way to turn that into another product I could offer. If it wasn't on enough, I'd get a talking to by the manager. Now, I walked away from that job feeling like I had honed a lot of skills. So as critical as I am, I have a positive outlook on the company. On the opposite end, when I worked at the costume shop, I was willing to switch on because I enjoyed the product and helping customers meant engaging in the creative process. So that energy came from a much more sincere place. I'm not saying the other place had no sincerity. I just, I'm not going to be sincere when it comes to handbags. I'm just not. Hilariously, my manager wanted me to dial it back because there was so much to do. Spending time with customers was counterproductive. The best balance between these two was a second retail watch job I had picked up later on after the first. Corporate was fairly hands-off for the majority of my tenure, and as a result, I had full control over how I wanted to approach customers. This meant I could be as energized or as chill as I'd like, and my sales were fine. But again, the product sells itself. I was just a guy who made the experience more enjoyable. As an agent, in order to deal with this tension, you need to find a position where you can unearth the most amount of energy to use your presentational skills. The more enthusiastic you are about the product, the easier it is to do. As a company, you keep on doing exactly what you know best. You're the one with the data. What throws this equation out of whack is when one has a bad boss and the employee is desperate to keep the job. I've been in this position and I don't envy anybody else who is. This happened during my apprenticeship, where the boss was, and I say this in full understanding of the meaning, abusive. They came from Europe and never quite got down the whole passive-aggressive Canadian style. 
and over the six months I was there, voices were raised numerous times towards me. Praise the light, I had the luxury to quit and try another job. But I know not a lot of people have this. And frankly, I don't really have a solution to this because, well, if you don't have another choice, you're kind of stuck, aren't you? And for that, all I can say is, I'm sorry. More on that later. People who think negativity or fear are effective motivators are out of their minds. It's good to have a little fear or a little negativity. They're highly potent, but positivity requires energy. And overcoming negativity with positivity is a massive drain on the psyche. So when one is constantly inundated with disrespect and vile, the ability to make correct decisions dissipates, which only leads to more raised voices. Customers would end up seeing the look of panic on my face, and who knows what effect that had on the bottom line. The tension also exists virtually. One of my most recent job positions was a virtual agent. Our priority was to answer calls, followed by speaking to people on the virtual chat, followed by answering emails and so on and so on. When working in person, only the most unreasonable of customers wouldn't understand the concept of taking their turn or waiting in line. If I'm in mid-conversation with someone, the next person will most likely understand. Working virtually, this is not something I can rely on. Although I can only have one phone call at a time, I could be managing several chat conversations, all of whom don't realize I could be talking to several other people. Neither customer thinks I'm multitasking, and it would look bad on us if I said I was. On multiple occasions, customers would write, hello, in chat, if I didn't respond in under 10 seconds. One of them wrote, well, now, as a result of this appalling customer service, I have no confidence in this company. Honestly, though, that one was my fault. Stay off Reddit. My second insight is burnout. At the luxury job, the one where I had to put on a face, again, I walked away having learned the most, but 90% of employees stick around for at most six months. I stayed for two years and only left to pursue the apprenticeship, which went abysmally. The employee who stuck around the longest was also the most chill person I ever met. Everything seemed to just roll off her. Her sales were pretty good too. Depending on the company, they might actually prefer to cycle through agents. Here's my thought process. On the one hand, you have people who've been there at length and know the product and operation well. But unless they have an innate energy based on their product enthusiasm or are just energetic in general, over time, it becomes difficult to engage at the same level as someone on a three-month probation. Not to mention trying to have a creative approach to each customer who walks through the door. The best way to handle burnout is preventative measures on both the company's and employees' shoulders. For employees, finding a job and holding it can be difficult, so just quitting is far from the advice I'd give. But you should always have in your mind what kind of job you would have the most organic energy to do, and take strides towards that position. And of course, a healthy lifestyle goes a long way. For companies, if burnout is an issue with employees, one method is to lean into this and focus on hiring a steady stream of temporary employees to work three to six months. If they have to leave for school or to pursue a career prospect, they can move on before burnout sets in. The second method would be to delegate tasks so that the team members can focus on fewer roles, but ones they do well. At my luxury job, 
I didn't perform better because I had to sell up to a certain goal to secure more hours. In fact, it made me worse at the job. I understand the logic, but it created an element of fear that bubbled underneath the surface, and it made me, as an employee, feel like I was at odds with the company rather than a team member. It was a lot of luck. I subverted this because I noticed there were a number of tasks that needed doing, such as battery changes, taking out the trash, getting coffees. It got to a point where I could spend a whole shift not needing to sell, but improving the operation for everyone else. While it may end up being inefficient to specifically assign roles to employees when other stuff needs doing, endowing employees with specialties does keep everyone working well within their lanes. This reduces burnout a great deal by characterizing some shifts as high-pressure performance shifts, others as more relaxed but still important. My third and final insight is the power of apology. Sorry. We're all out of unsalted butter. Sorry, I just sold the last of that model. The display is the only one we have left. Agents need to say sorry a lot, and many times it's not necessarily our fault. This is taxing mentally for anyone who means what they say. And I've gotten an earful a number of times from customers. Most of them follow up their rant by apologizing to me because they recognize there's not much I can do. Now, my philosophy is that as an employee of the company, if I'm going to take their paycheck, I'm going to take their problems. If someone has that much of an issue with a company where they cannot fathom the decisions the company makes, they can't then accept payment knowing what those issues are. We all make mistakes, and we want to hold ourselves to a higher standard. So here's how I break down apologies. Level one is simple. I'm sorry. This is the one that we can put up there with please and thank you. It shouldn't cost you anything to say. It's a simple demonstration of basic empathy for others, even in the smallest incidents where a certain flavor of popsicle isn't available, as long as you mean it. And it doesn't have to mean that much. I have so many examples of this, I could do a whole show on all the times I said sorry. Level two is, I apologize. In all three levels I give you, all three call into question whether or not you need to take responsibility or accountability. Responsibility means the fault is yours. Accountability means you're going to do something about it. Saying I apologize is a formal, often professional, admittance of wrongdoing. Here's an incident where I wish I said it. At the home decor and furniture store, I spent the first few months there working in the warehouse side, unloading product, assembling furniture, basically heavy lifting. Now, I'm not known for my physique. And although I could keep up the first few months, the work took an increasing toll on me physically, which made the other warehouse staff increasingly irritated when I'd be in. However, my knack for customer service was already fine-tuned by that point, so when it came time for my three-month review, I and my manager were in agreement I was a poor fit for lifting rugs. But I made the case that I'd be great on cash. My first day on cash was pretty good, but there was one mistake I made that sticks out after all these years later. This one lady comes up to the cash with a bunch of lamps. It's like 12 to 14 of them. There were a lot of lamps. She needs to head back to the aisle for a moment, I think because she was missing a lamp. So she goes to get it, leaving all the other lamps on my counter. I decide to ring up the next customer in the meantime. She comes back and is furious. 
She thinks I should have waited for her, and she took it as a massive disrespect. In retrospect, yeah, I agree. At the time, I should have said I apologize. Or I'll just say I'm sorry, but with a level two meaning. And I should have said that it's my first day on cash and I wasn't sure what to do. Instead, I said nothing. I just kind of froze up. Anyways, level three is the most powerful apology in your arsenal. I call it, that will never happen again. I don't remember ever saying it to a customer because I don't remember ever making a mistake that bad, but it could be because I blocked those memories out. Family, friends, and coworkers, on the other hand, yeah, I've had to say it to them. Because we forge relationships with them over months and years, frankly, it's an inevitability. That will never happen again represents a pivotal moment in your life where you've come to realize a part of you is simply unacceptable. It is full personal responsibility and accountability. It's a promise to others that your flaws are not a pattern and that you're committed to real, tangible growth. I predict, as we grow together throughout this show, I'll be coming back to this with some more insights. But I'm going to need more time to stew. For now, I leave you with those and hope they're worth thinking about. Now, let's address the situation at hand. What we're dealing with now is an environment where customer service is no longer just answering the phone or greeting people who walk in with a smile. It is a many-headed beast. We're going to go through the different methods. Social media has risen to prominence, which we've talked about plenty, which means it's technically an outlet for customers to reach out to you on. According to Medium.com, 42% of the world's population are on social media, and 53% of Twitter users expect to hear back from brands within an hour of contact. An hour. Things can get pretty intense on social media, too, since it's a public display. I remember this one time McDonald's was trying to promote a burger, and Facebook took the video by storm. Why don't your milkshake machines work? What can I get for under $3? Is it true you use slaughterhouses? That last question was mine, by the way. This means, in addition to having customer service agents, you're also going to need social media experts who know how to navigate a dozen or more platforms with different rules and tones. Medium goes on to speak about the concept of an omni-channel, which I've essentially broken down already. As millennials enter the workforce, they're ready to engage with customers via text, live chat, and social media. It would be a bit difficult to have several devices at one's fingertips, so an omni-channel contact software like 8x8 would give companies a chance to streamline both external and internal communications. The second component to all this is self-service. Medium.com estimates that 70% of customers prefer to do things on their own, a sentiment I echo whenever I visit the pharmacy. The third component, which is absolutely vital to talk about, is AI. Some good news off the bat. 63% of customers are fine with being served by a chatbot, as long as they can escalate to a live agent if need be. Medium.com goes on to recommend a product tour integration. This is where customers can interact with a guide that takes them through the website in a way that both satisfies the customer's needs, but also highlights the features of the website where they might otherwise go amiss. One such program is Helpier.com, which streamlines the customer experience so that they can navigate from page to page swiftly. One method, for instance, is to provide customers with tooltips, little question mark icons next to key areas on screen 
that a customer can click on if they need help. I can't recall any site in particular, but I know there have been times where I hovered my mouse over some text, hoping for a pop-up window that'd provide me with some extra info. One thing very specific to e-commerce and dropshipping is that with scaling, the person-by-person nature of servicing customers in the vein of boutique sales may not be enough. It's doable, and then I invite anyone to tell me how they have approached customer service in a way that's unique to them. But to maintain consistency across what could potentially be thousands of people interacting every day, you would have to hire and train a lot of agents. If you go this route, speaking as someone who's done it for years, there is an art to treating each customer individually and providing an experience that makes their day. It's fun. And I believe the value of it depends on the independent value of the product. The more expensive a single purchase is, the more likely a customer would want to speak to a live agent. You have the power to scale up your operation with a program such as ManyChat. What this little gem can do is create a flowchart of conversation prompts from customers and reply with a message crafted in anticipation. Now at first, putting myself in the shoes once again of an agent, the thought of automating my position outright is alarming, but there's nuance. You see, if there's one thing consistent with every position I've held where I answered customer questions, I've answered the same questions over and over. As I mentioned way back in an earlier episode, it got to the point where I had a Google document with dozens of responses ready to copy and paste. When one works on the cutting edge of technology and innovation, energy expended is precious. It was a poor use of creative energy to repeat myself, especially online where diction and tone cannot be conveyed by text. It's repetitive in person too, but it's a lot easier since I have the interactive energy of another person in front of me. Being around people, I miss that. Anyways, with a program like ManyChat, a lot of those routine questions are handled by AI, allowing for virtual assistants to step in when a question is far too nuanced for the bot to handle. One example where this would be implemented perfectly was when I ordered a digital stylus from Digital Magica. They advertise a one-size-fits-all stylus that can be used on any touchscreen. Any surface? Many of us would ask. Well, they got lots and lots of people asking, what about my iPhone? What about my iPhone? What about my tablet? Etc, etc. That would be a situation where you either have someone with a big honking list of all the devices it can and can't work with, and then manually check each time until it's committed to memory. Or you can use chatbot. For jobs that make people feel like machines, AI is there to take over. Well, that is it for today. Do you have any transformative customer service experiences you'd like to share? What strategies are you using to handle this ever-evolving situation? Let us know. Contact podcast at debutify.com. Thanks very much. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. 
If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.